sure. I'll talk it out. Yeah. Let's just have a conversation. Track three. <clears throat> Better not be fucking Dave Matthews band. Okay. Those of you who don't want to be a part of this can leave now. Derek, please listen to me. But if you choose to stay, which it seems like you guys are choosing. Derek, please. You understand and agree to the following terms and conditions. Derek! One. Derek, this is the virus. You talking. hereby waive your right Derek, please. to your own personal bodily integrity. This is not you. Two. Per the state versus Neville Reed. My colleague and I will not be held criminally liable for any felony or misdemeanor that you may be a victim of, including, but not limited to, aggravated assault, aggravated battery, disorderly conduct, destruction of property, mayhem, and first-degree murder. And three, terms and conditions may change or be updated whenever the fuck I want! Consider yourselves notified. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. Describe the ruckus, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? episode 190 a lot of great stuff coming your way today a lot of great classic uh heavy metal and rock also got some uh great new metal out there for you uh got three movies i'm gonna review for you one of them's the sadness from 2021 it's on shutter right now uh i am lisa which i think is on tubi i think i saw it that's where it was or something like that and then, of course, the brand new film, Barbarian, which has hit HBO Max, uh, highly critically re uh, rated on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, question is, did I feel the same way? Who knows when we get to it? Uh, so, yeah, a lot of great stuff coming your way. And um, 
just so you all know, uh, if you haven't checked it out yet on YouTube, uh, on Samurai's channel, that fat samurai guy, we just did another versus episode between uh, Friday the 13th Part 6 versus uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. That was a lot of fun, a lot of great guests, a lot of panel guests, a lot of videos sent in, uh, casting their votes for which film they liked the most. Um, we also dressed up a little bit for Halloween, so that was fun. Um, so check it out for sure in that Samurai Guys channel there. Uh, as far as uh, my own channel, released a new... Uh, episode of uh, Poetic Carnage, Sports Talk and Hot Takes uh, with my partner in crime, Edgar Allan Poet. So check that out if you're into the sports, football and stuff. We had a special guest from our uh, forum that we're a part of with uh, Bronco Wave, a.k.a. CJ. Uh, and then uh, Friday, I did a video with Big Bad Wolf. And uh, we talked all things werewolf, so I'm back on the werewolf train here. Uh, and we, but we dive pretty deep in it. We get into the lore and the mythology of it all, as well as some of our favorite movies from the uh, the genre itself. So it's gonna be a really fun discussion. It was a very fun discussion with him. Uh, I, I thank him a lot for doing that. Uh, and then Saturday I did the podcast with Sentry. Um, uh, for Castlevania uh, Netflix for seasons one and two, we discussed those, uh, which was a lot of fun as well. It was, go it was fun going back and checking those out. All right, well, let's just bolt right into this uh, classic Exodus here within the walls of chaos, kicking us all off.
DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y Sci-Fi Century Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla related information Peace Alright DJ Nubis back with you now Gonna talk a little bit about The Sadness so yeah, uh, I've been hearing a lot about this particular film from uh, 2021, uh, directed by and written by Rob Jabaz. Uh, the The premise of it is basically a young couple trying to reunite amid a city ravaged by a plague that turns its victims into deranged, bloodthirsty sadists. And uh, it stars uh, Barant Zhu as Jim. Regina Lai or Lee as Cat, and really the only uh, other main sort of main character, as far as like even though we see a lot of other people, the other main character we see is a, a businessman uh, played by Zhu Xiang Wang. And uh, let me tell you, this this film is pretty nuts. <laughs> I, I people were saying that it was pretty brutal with gore and stuff, and so. I had seen it on Shutter, just kind of sitting there. I hadn't, hadn't quite gotten around to watching, but finally decided I needed to check it out. Uh, what I will say is, this film—if you are a fan of like Twenty Eight Days or The Crazies, uh, either it doesn't matter if it's the '70s version or the remake—if uh, you're a fan of those films, you're gonna like this because it's a kind of a cross between both. And um, basically. Uh, our two main characters, a boyfriend and girlfriend, you know, they wake up uh, one morning and, you know, it's all kind of loving, you know, your usual uh, uh, nice things you got going on there. And then they're talking about getting together for vacations and stuff. But he gives her a ride, uh, excuse me, uh, gives her a ride to the hospital where she works. Um, I think she's a nurse or something like that along that lines. And, uh, he himself, I'm not sure what exactly he does for a living. Oh, he's, I think he's like a, he likes, he works on like movie sets and stuff. So I think that's kind of what he does. Uh, but anyway, he drops her off and on their way there to drop her off, they, they see like this accident on the road. So he, they're like on a little motor scooter or whatever. And they look over and it's like, you know, people are traumatized and crying and the paramedics are there and the police and. So he drops her off, and then he starts making his way back, and when he passes the same uh, crime scene, or the, the not crime scene, but the, the accident scene, uh, 
everyone's gone except for like the police car and the ambulance like no one's there like it's kind of weird like it's just like everyone just dropped and left you know um so then you know he doesn't pay much attention to that and he ends up going to a local cafe where uh he's gonna get some coffee or something like you know guys he knows him pretty well since he lives kind of locally to that and uh, while he's there, uh, a woman, older woman, walks in who's like in a nightgown and she's just got her, you know, gray hair, you know, whatnot. And she's just kind of facing the cook behind the counter. And uh, there's patrons in there, obviously. They're sitting down eating, and there's a couple of dudes there uh, chilling. And one of the guys happens to see her from behind, just kind of like, I mean, he's like, notices that she's just kind of acting kind of weird. So he's telling his buddy, you know, hey, look, what, what's going on? So the buddy decides he's going to get up and just kind of like, you know, ask her if she's okay or, you know, find out what's going on. And uh, basically what ends up happening is she's, she turns around, spits like vomit or bile into his face. And then also uh, almost immediately turns around and grabs like the, somehow she can just grab the, the fryer you know with the fries like the basket and like picks it up and slams it against the chef's head burning him and whatnot and all the while she's kind of like got this like little laugh and giggle going on and so the guy that you know of course uh got the bile spit in his face is all of a sudden turning on his friend and like stabbing him with the knife in the neck and shit's just getting out of control people are freaking the fuck out and and our main guy jim he's like kind of watching this shit unfold with like disbelief and uh so he ends up like all of a sudden they just start looking at him like some of them that have been like infected now are, are just starting to look at him they start chasing him and uh, the woman who had come in initially ran out but she got hit by a car who was being driven by another infected person who jumped out and started chasing jim as well so uh this is kind of like where the 28 days later type vibe comes in because of how fast the infection spreads uh initially that what was happening was at the early part of the movie they were just kind of like uh you know like the the local government and doctors were saying that there's this uh alvin virus that's out there it's, it, this is almost like kind of like a reminiscent playoff the covid stuff and so they're saying how there's arguments like, you know, that's uh, mutating, becoming dangerous. And then there's people saying it's not a big deal. It's, it's the same kind of shit we see going on with COVID right now in terms of how people take it seriously or not. And uh, so you have that in the background. So, you know, people, this is why people just weren't really paying attention to it. And then others, you know, all of a sudden start freaking out. But now we have like this massive outbreak that's starting to take place. Jim finally, you know, runs back to the apartment that he lives at and he texts his cat to stay where she is and he's going to come get her at the hospital. But before he can even get out of the apartment, uh, his neighbor who lives next door, they have like balconies that kind of intersect together and is, is while he's kind of texting her, the neighbor who's infected uh, slips in the, do the balcony door and then tags him and ends up like taking some... Uh, shears and like fucking cutting out two of his fingers 
of Jim's, and Jim has to wrap it up, and he manages to get away and get out. Uh, but he can, once he gets out there, you just kind of see there's like utter chaos going on. It's not quite bad enough yet to where the streets are filled with these fuckers. It's just that you, you just know that shit's going on. There's like fires burning and shit like that. Uh, then we kind of switch over to Cat um, and what's going on with her. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden the hospital's having a bunch of people come in and, you know, things are getting kind of crazy there. So she decides she's going to go ahead and leave and try to get back on the subway to go home. Uh, and while she's on the subway, uh, a businessman who I said was played by that uh, Zhu Xiang Wang guy, he's like middle-aged and this girl is probably like in her early 20s. So he begins like just starting up a conversation with her. Like he's just, you know, he's sitting next to her and he's, he sees that she's reading a book and... You know, he he just starts talking to her, and she's kind of like, you know, being, uh, she's being polite, but she's not really interested in any kind of talking with this guy, and especially when he starts getting a little bit creepy, and he's like, you know, I just always saw you on here and thought you were, uh, very attractive, and, you know, start going down this road. Uh, and she kind of like, then finally she has to politely just say, look, I'm not interested in talking to you or anything. I just want to read my book in peace. And, uh, but then what happens is there's a gentleman that gets on the train and he doesn't look well. And all of a sudden he just starts stabbing people. Like takes out a blade and just starts stabbing people and it, it's getting nuts. And, uh, again, it's almost like either you've already been infected with it and it just like gets kicked off like it's really weird how the uh, mutation works because it it connects like sex and aggression in the brain so it has different effects for some people so either you're going to become really violent and just start like killing people or you might do a little bit of both where you're killing and raping and it happens with the women too like they uh, I think there's one point on the subway where a woman who's been infected uh, literally tries to start humping a guy and he's like, she's like stabbing him at the same time or something like that. It's just total gore all over the place. Blood's just everywhere. And Kat's like in deep shock here. Uh, and now, interestingly enough, uh, a, a larger girl sits next, or Cat gives her seat up to this larger girl, you know, and, uh, just to be nice and everything, and uh, this is before the chaos erupts, and the businessman, he, like, gets up, and he has, like, an umbrella that he carries with him, and he just literally just flips out, rams it into the big girl's eye, uh, and he's not even really stabbing people at this point, but you can tell he's been infected in some way, and so in his, I guess, in his particular stance, uh, he's become... Uh, like a lot of thoughts of like rape and mayhem and stuff so he's calling the, the big girl and cat you know sluts and whores and you know now now shit's just getting nuts because the entire subway car is like just being overrun now with people hurting each other and people running and crying and it's just crazy so they manage to get off and she's grabbing the big girl and trying to run with her and they get back to uh you know as they're going down the tunnels for these the subway station substation 
the businessman is still pursuing him. You know, he's not really running. It's just kind of like a, a walking and just taunting him that he's going to kill and fuck them and all this other stuff. And so uh, eventually they uh, they get to uh, another hospital and they're, you know she's trying to get the, the bigger girl to be seen because of the eye trauma, the eyeball like basically hanging out at that point. Um, here's where things get kind of funny uh, and not in a good sense when I talk about the the rape and mayhem. Uh, you don't see the action happen, but if you've ever heard the term, uh, especially from, say, like, Full Metal Jacket, and, uh, you know, the guy mentions to one of the recruits, you know, I'm going to skull fuck you. Uh, well, that's what happens with the businessman and the big girl. Like, he uh, <laughs> he ends up catching up with her, who's in a wheelchair, just kind of waiting to be seen. And he, you know, he's like, walks up to her, and you can tell he's undoing his pants. And he literally just takes her and starts fucking her in the eye that's been damaged. Uh, and then we kind of don't see anything after that, but I just, when I saw the moment, I was like, oh my God, he's going to fuck her in the eye, and, he, and sure enough, that's what he was doing. Uh, so the whole term skull fucking just popped in my head, and I just started laughing about it. Uh, but the other interesting thing about the way this virus works is if you're infected, you actually still feel emotions, so you are still cognizant of what you're what you're doing but you just have no control over it it's just one of those things like you could be doing some of the most heinous acts to somebody ever and start crying because you know that it's wrong and you know you you just like all the guilt and the the pain that you know you're not really this person but you can't control yourself because of what the virus is doing to you and uh yeah so eventually cat uh, gets kind of saved uh, by Dr. Alan Wong, who's been working, who's been telling them that the virus could have done this. Like, he's one of the people arguing as to why the government should have been taking this more seriously. And there was a moment where the president, uh, I think this is all taking place in, where is this? Um, I think it's in Taiwan. I think it's somewhere over there. Um, give me a moment. Uh, so anyway, but yeah, the president of who's running the, the country there, uh, he's on national television telling people to stay calm and that they're trying to get it work. You know, he's telling them what's going on. Uh, but then the president himself freaks out and he has a grenade on him for whatever reason. <laughs> Because uh, he's a military guy, but he pulls out a grenade and literally just blows up everything in the feed right then and there. And people were, start freaking out at the hospital, so that leads to more mayhem. And that's where Kat eventually is like, you know, I'm getting the fuck out of here. And that's where she bumps into Dr. Alan Wong, who is trying to find a cure, which he believes might be in someone's blood. So in this particular case, he's told Kat to, you know clean up change because he doesn't know if she's infected and uh there's a moment where she looks into where the uh, old uh the bin is for like dirty clothes and and rags and stuff and she hears like a baby's cry so she opens it up and there's a bag there black bag and trash bag and opens up and there's a baby in there that's crying but it's like you can tell that it's been infected so 
uh, all of a sudden Wong like injects her in the neck with the virus and then handcuffs her to the shower and says, if you don't change, then I know you have an immunity to the virus and I'm going to get us both out of here by helicopter uh, so we can use your blood to find the cure. If you change, I'm just going to kill you. That's basically what he's telling her. And uh, so she doesn't change. She does have uh, an uh, immunity to the virus. So now he wants to try to get her out of there. So they, they leave uh, the safe uh, lockdown room they were in and uh, start making her way out, but are attacked by a couple of the crazies. And uh, the doctor is kind of like hurt. He kills the two guys, but he's hurt himself. And obviously he's going to be infected himself pretty soon to which at one point he does before he's actually killed by Jim who shows up and I'll get to that in a minute but uh he admits that he enjoyed killing the babies and that's you know again it's not something he really believes but the infection of the virus makes you do things and say things that you normally wouldn't so after he's killed these two attackers uh Jim finally just show up and it's easy to see now that he's infected too uh, and so he's, like, talking shit to Cat, like, you know, I do love you, but, you know, uh, you found a new boyfriend here, I guess, because he's not thinking clearly, obviously, so, uh, Jim ends up finishing off the doctor, basically, uh, and then Cat's able to lock Jim out with his gate, to the stairway to the roof where the helicopter's supposed to come and she's kind of like just sitting there first looking at Jim who's talking to her through the gate and you know he, he basically is telling her that he really loves her and that the best form of love is for him to kill and rape her or something but you know he doesn't necessarily believe it again it's all the virus is telling him in his head even though deep down in his conscious is uh you know subconscious he wouldn't do that at all he really did love her but uh, just the way this uh, virus worked it was uh, insane but the gore and the violence in this film and even the depravity i mean there's a, another hospital scene where uh, some that are infected are like almost like a gangbang type thing in the hallway and uh one of the guys that's sort of like a side character who comes across cat at some point is trying to sneak by and get away from but like it's just crazy it's crazy it's not serbian film crazy but it's certainly uh, crazy enough that I, I thought it was really good like it, it didn't have to go to anything super extreme visually to get this point across like there but the gore effects and the, the acting is really well done uh, i really enjoyed this a lot I think my rating for this is probably going to be a 9 out of 10. Uh, certainly something I would get on uh, DVD or Blu-ray if I get a chance to. Uh, but yeah. <clears throat> Good film. The Sadness 2021. Let's get back into some music. couple blocks here. Um, brand new stuff from White Skull, Sabaton, Exhumed. And here's brand new Imprecation, Devil's Furnace.
This is Monroe Black from Salem's Lot. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
Introducing the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast, available today on your favorite podcast platform. Metal Tavern is a heavy metal, rock music, and movie podcast where they discuss movies, music, current events, and feature live interviews with bands, artists, and YouTube personalities. They spotlight independent labels and feature the underground bands the label represents. Again, that's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Stream it today on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podbean, YouTube, and at the website MetalTavernRadio.com. Many episodes up for you to listen to already, and make sure you subscribe to be notified of future releases. That's the Metal Tavern Radio Podcast. Go listen, download, and subscribe today. You can also connect on Facebook. Search Metal Tavern Radio and follow the guys on Twitter at DJ Anubis88 and DJ underscore Nico Catfreak. Some brand new stuff from uh, Bloody Hammers, brand new stuff from Striper and Disturbed. Also got some Mad Max, brand new Devin Townsend, which is really good by the way. And kicking it all off is brand new stuff from Sog. This is House of Worship.
understand that is also the plane of flow, which is the plane of pure love, the plane of no boundaries of energy.
everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
What's up, everyone? This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. It's 2020's I Am Lisa. Uh, distributed by Mutiny Pictures. Directed by Patrick Rhea. Written by Eric Winkler. Uh, it stars Kristen Varganos, Jennifer Seward, uh, Manor, Manon Halliburton. And uh, Basically, the premise here is uh, the film follows Lisa, a young woman who runs a bookstore that was left to her uh, by her deceased grandmother. She is bullied by the local mean girl and drug dealer Jess, uh, who ends up taking like uh, a rare book from the store, uh, basically taunting uh, Lisa, you know, about not having to pay for it and all this. Uh, she's there with a couple of other girls. Uh, one of the, the girls uh, there happens to be, I guess, Lisa's friend in a way, but she's sort of just uh, following the crowd, I guess, with Jess. So that's why she's kind of like not standing up for Lisa there. Um, eventually, though, uh, Jess comes back and returns the book. Uh, but it's, it's clear she has like an alternative motive here. So basically... She starts hitting on Lisa. Lisa rejects her, and then uh, Jess spits in her face. So when Lisa goes to the local sheriff, uh, this is basically a small town she lives in. So she goes to the local sheriff uh, to report it. Um, the sheriff dismisses it, of course, because it happens that the sheriff is Jess's mother, <clears throat> who's uh, named Deb, and also. Uh, of course, Jess's uh, brother and Deb's son is the deputy to Deb. So, like, it's all family there. And it's crazy. Uh, clearly, though, uh, the sheriff is very dirty and corrupt. And we find that out pretty soon in this film. Um, so, but when Lisa kind of, you know, pushes back about going higher up uh, over Deb's head... Uh, and this is, of course, when Jess and the other girls, uh, walk into the, uh, sheriff's office. It's basically, Lisa's kind of, like, dug her own grave, so to speak. Uh, Deb, uh, ranges it. So they, they basically beat her ass in the sheriff's office, uh, knock her out. And then Deb has, uh, this the deputy take her out to the woods. And near, locally, they have, uh wolves a pack of wolves that uh you know will pretty much scavenge anybody but also there's one particular wolf that apparently is like a werewolf so uh being bitten by this particular wolf uh will allow you to become a werewolf so to speak or a wolf person um she doesn't get killed by the wolves because she ends up like taking a rock and smacking the one that bit her which tends to be the special wolf <laughs> basically and uh so she spends a good portion of the film finding out that you know she's healing fast and 
her sensors are heightened, although they aren't heightened to the point that you would think they would be. Um, the thing about this film, though, is early in the film, like the whole uh, confronting the sheriff about just the issue there is a very nice and emotional vibe. Like it, it's it's very well done in terms of how it's played out. Uh, it's, it's kind of cringe and hard to watch because, you know, you're watching a girl get her ass kicked by almost, like, six people. Um, now, Lisa also has uh, her best friend, Sam, played by Jennifer Seward. Uh, th the thing about this particular relationship with them is it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. It's, it's, there's no chemistry between the actresses. I don't know what it is, but... Uh, I wasn't feeling like that best friend relationship between the, the two characters. Um, I, and the other thing about this film is I, I kind of wish that... Because the film spends a lot of time uh, trying to... You know, dip, you know, it tries to go too many places at once. It, it doesn't really focus on just Lisa's rage in terms of her becoming a werewolf and trying to get revenge because that's really what this is about you know she's going to end up taking revenge on the people that hurt her uh but i find that the even you know the first two revenge kills uh are very subpar and awkward they're just i don't know i just i i've seen better for sure uh they weren't uh played out as well as i thought they would be uh, dialogue uh, for all the characters probably could be a lot better. Um, now, granted, I don't know what the budget was for this. It's not like something I think that had a very high budget to begin with. Uh, but you know, at some point, you gotta kind of get a little bit better with the script writing. You know, and don't make it so. Uh, it wasn't even really cheesy. It was just because, like, it was kind of like the film was kind of like trying to to go between either campy or not campy and it was trying to ride that line and I think that whenever you're doing a film of any genre you, you need to pick a side you can't sit there and, and try to be one thing and then something else you, you figure out what it is you're going to be if you're going to be campy be campy uh, and a, a good example of that would be like uh, Werewolves Within that's a very campy film uh, it doesn't take itself too seriously this one tries to become seriously with uh, some of the things that it does throughout it. Uh, but it doesn't really hit the mark. And then also there's other points where it thinks it's trying to be cute and funny, but it's not. Uh, soundtrack, you know, despite being uneven at certain points, like you know how you have certain events taking place that you would think that the, the music would be a tad bit more... Uh, sad or dark it actually has some sort of like upbeat rock anthem and it's like wait a minute this doesn't make sense it doesn't fit with what's going on on the screen however they do have a moment in the film and i was trying to look it up but didn't find it uh there's a moment where lisa's pretty much hunting down jess and like a local club uh, a bar and uh, there's like a death metal band playing or something so i it, i don't know if it's a band i've heard before it could be uh just you know an unsigned act of some sort but it was pretty cool to just hear that and uh that actually worked for that particular uh scene that they were shooting uh 
one thing also just like and this goes back to where I feel like this film should just focus on Lisa the character herself rather than try to like fit in like Sam and some of these other uh, people like this special wolf guy you know he's the one that crazy and he's like a whole other enigma that's never really explained like it's really stupid but uh you know there's this usual trope where you know lisa's planning on getting getting the sheriff like she's down to the sheriff now basically in terms of getting revenge and of course the sheriff knows that she has a best friend so she kidnaps the best friend to draw her in and so then we've got this whole other thing like it's expected like i hate that like throw something that's unexpected at me you know uh i would have almost liked it better if lisa had just gotten the better of all of them you know uh and that's sort of like the other thing like lisa supposedly becoming a werewolf uh but yet her senses aren't really taken over like you would think that she would have the advantage but it, she never does and that's just weird to me it doesn't really work in this film so it, it, I don't know uh, so the sheriff like at some point the sheriff kind of like gets the advantage of Lisa again towards the end but uh, yeah it's just very awkward and weird it doesn't really work for me I, I this film um, I'll say right now all three films that I'm reviewing the critics love like they give it pretty much a 90 or a bus which is like an A uh, the audiences are all around 60% what would be a D. So I'm just going to put that out there. So basically, the critics really enjoyed this film. And I, I'm not really sure why. It's just one of those moments where sometimes when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes and their critics, I will agree with them on some things and then not other things. Uh, and same thing with the audience. Sometimes audience will hate something that I think should be better or better rated and it's not, or vice versa. So, with I Am Lisa, uh, you know, she eventually gets her revenge and everything, but uh, there's no real, like, like apparently, and this is the other weird thing about this particular werewolf movie, is that if you're ever bitten by this special werewolf, it, it your changing isn't always the same. So, on one hand, you might become just a full animal. Another might be like you're half animal, half man. In this case, Lisa, her facial, you know, changed a little bit. And, you know, she had the fangs and the little, it wasn't even really snout. But just, she almost looked like the vampires from Buffy the Vampire Slayer show, if you ever remember that. She looked like that. Um, but she was able to talk and she still had her uh, able to recognize everything going around her. So she was basically a smart werewolf. She didn't come just like a dumb beast. So there's a point where the sheriff's just kind of like, oh, I've never heard one talk before. Because the sheriff knew all about this shit. She's been dumping bodies at the wolves and everything out for a while. So, uh, so it's just really weird in that sense. And, uh, you know, like I said, at least finally does get the win. But it just it kind of just left me underwhelmed I would say and uh, so yeah my rating despite the audience going with like uh, basically a 60% I'm at, I'm at 4 out of 10 which is about 40% which is an F uh, just because I'll, I'll never watch this again like I just have no interest in it <laughs> uh, I thought obviously the lead actress was very cute uh, you know it, that part of it works for me I mean most of the women in this Jess and them were all very pretty and whatnot. 
I try. I thought that I had recognized the woman that played uh, the de uh, the sheriff, but apparently this is the only film she ever did. So like, I don't know. I kept trying to say to myself, I've seen her in something else, but it just. I tried looking her up. Uh, I didn't find anything else in her IMDb. So, but uh, but she did play a, a pretty good villain in this film. So I give her credit for that. Uh, but just too much. Uh, too much stuff is just, it's really just the usual standard script. Like, it just followed the, the usual polka dots. It didn't really go off key. It didn't really change things. It didn't try to be surprising in any way. And it, it's kind of disappointing. Uh, sometimes I feel like, even if you got a cast that's, you know, a little green or new, to act, you know, whatever, and they're trying to find their way into the acting world. It's like, you kind of do them a disservice sometimes, and I think that's again, comes down to the fact that this film couldn't figure out what it wanted to be, whether it wanted to be a super serious film or if it wanted to be uh, a campy film. And uh, it just didn't work on either path. Like, it just tried to ride that line. It just, you can't do that. You have to figure out what kind of film you're going to be directing. So, 4 out of 10 for this for me, I was disappointed. Um, but, you know, it's all subjective. People might find a little more out of it, while others might find that it's a 0 out of 10. You just never know. But anyway, we'll get back into some music. Uh, brand new stuff from Last Wretch, Morbid Stench, and here's brand new Freedom of Fear. This is Carpathia.
down to our final review today. Uh, you know, I, I got to a point this week where I thought about like going to see the movie Smile. I'd heard, you know, I saw the trailer. Miss uh, Neko and I had done a, a trailer reaction to it, I believe, and it looked kind of creepy and interesting. Uh, we never saw the trailer for Barbarian, but, you know, I kept hearing people talk about it. And so I went and looked up on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, I, you know, look, Rotten Tomatoes isn't the be-all, end-all to what's good out there and what's bad, obviously. It's all subjective, like I said. Uh, but I do, you know, take note of it. I just, you know, it gives me an impression of what's going on out there with the people that are viewing these films. And uh, Smile's been doing okay. I think it had, like, last time I looked, it was, like, about a 70% for critics and uh, audience. So that's, you know, it's about a C grade. Uh, but Barbarian was getting, like, you know, like I said, it's 60% for the fans right now, but it's about 90% for the critics. I'm like, hmm. And uh, so I was debating what I would go out there and see. And then, of course, I have HBO Max, so Barbarian ended up being released on HBO Max. I'm like, well, I'll save my money for the theater right now and just sit at home and watch Barbarian here. Uh you know, because I really don't know much about it. Uh, so, the premise, uh, basically, you have a, a young woman, uh, let me get her name here real quick, um, a test marshal, played by Georgina Campbell. Um, she comes to Detroit for an interview for a job, and she's staying at a house that she's renting from somebody else who... Uh, is like out of town or something. So it's almost like, you know, someone goes out of town, they rent their house out to people. Uh, so she, um, she ends up like getting to the house. It's raining. It's in Detroit. It's not like the best neighborhood, uh, where she's at. And so there's like a, a lock box on the, um, the front door. So where she has a code that they gave her, so she can unlock it to get the house key. And she opens it up and the key's not there. So the door is locked, of course, so she can't get in. So she goes out back out to her car in the rain and sitting there, and uh, all of a sudden a light pops on in the house. So she comes back up to the house door and starts knocking on it. Uh, a guy answers, whose name's Keith, that's played by Bill Skarsgård. And he says that he also booked to stay there at this house. And so... What ends up happening, he just kind of like, at first he's not sure what to really do, but he doesn't want her staying out in the rain or in her car, and maybe, like I said, neighborhood's not the best, so he invites her to stay the evening until they can figure out what's going on uh, with the double booking of the house, and so he's offering to sleep on the couch and stuff, but, you know, it's kind of a weird, weird kind of, uh, conversation and back and forth because he's trying to be as friendly as possible while trying to make her feel comfortable and you know it's but it's kind of coming off weird at times uh so anyway i don't know at night uh they're sleeping and you know uh there comes a moment where she wakes up and her bedroom door is open and so she gets up and she goes out to the living room where Keith is sleeping. He's on the couch, and she's like, "Hey, you, he, he scared her. He scared. She scared him by accident. So he woke up, and she's like, "Hey, did you open the door to my room?" He's like, "No." 
and he was kind of frustrated because he was tired and so she figured maybe it was just her imagination playing tricks on her maybe she had opened it herself so she went back and went to sleep and then sometime later the next day she goes downstairs and she finds like uh, a basement then there's like another room hidden down there so it takes you even further down and uh the first uh, corridor that she's in, there's like at the end of it, there's like a bed and a room lit, lit room with a camera in there. And uh, it kind of freaks her out. You know, it's one of these things like, oh my God, is there like, if you ever saw the movie Gothic uh, with Haley Berry, it, it, it's, you know, it's kind of like makes you think of that or even Serbian film a little bit with, you know, just uh, what was going on in that film. In terms of like the video and all that stuff so she freaks out she's you know she accidentally gets locked in because the door to the stairway to the basement closes up on its own it just it has that reflex so she gets locked down there so she's kind of panicking so she goes to like the nearby basement window and there's uh you know she sees keith outside and he you know opens it up and then she crawls out and she's panicking she's like you know there's a weird room down there and she wants to leave, and Keith's like, "Look, yeah, you know, I don't know what's going on, but let me let me go check it out." And uh, he goes down there, and she kind of sits upstairs for a little bit, and then uh, she doesn't really hear anything, so she goes back down there uh, and can't find him. Like he just disappears until she comes across like another hidden door, uh, which leads down like this even darker set of stairs with no lights at all, and. She's using her phone, or I think, I don't know, phone or flashlight to try to see where she's going on there. She keeps hearing, like, Key's voice a little bit, saying, please. Um, so she keeps going and going and going, and finally she finds Keith, and he's on the ground, and he, someone, something bit him. And uh, all of a sudden we see, like, this figure that's like a monstrosity of a, a human, humanoid. Um show up and basically just take Keith's head and slams it into the concrete because it's all like cavern down there a little bit there's there are rooms but it's like cavernous and just takes his head and smashes it into the wall like it's it's pretty gory uh she runs or tries to get away gets caught eventually but we don't know exactly what her fate is at that point because then we're switching gears to go to uh, a gentleman named A.J. Gilbride, who's a sitcom actor played by Justin Long. Uh, he apparently owns the property to where this stuff was happening with uh, Tess and Keith. But he's got his own problems because he's currently working on a sitcom where one of the actresses is accusing him of rape. Like, he calls it consensual sex, but... Uh, it, it, it's clearly, you know, when you hear him later on, how he talks about what happened with one of his friends in a flashback. Uh, clearly, he was uh, not taking the signals correctly and uh, forced himself on her regardless. Um, but that's really kind of a minor point here. He's got to start liquidating uh, some of his... He's got like a lot of expensive cars and stuff that he's gotten since he's been an actor and now because he's in trouble financially he's got to try to get rid of stuff. So he's there at the, the house that he owns and just crashing there for a time being while he gets his affairs in order. 
discovers like the luggage and stuff from Keith and Tess and he's like what the fuck's going on there shouldn't be anybody here and so you know he ends up going down there also and finds um, the other rooms down the basement and goes further down there but the funny thing about AJ here is that he's yeah, he's he's measuring the house. So when he gets he, when he discovers there's like another room down in the basement, the first other room where the uh, bed was with the camera, he's like, oh. So he takes a measuring tape and he starts measuring. He's like, man, this this should make the house sell for more because of all this space. And then he discovers that there's that other uh, uh, steps that go down to even further stuff so that he starts measuring that shit before he kind of trips over himself and falls down the rest of the steps uh it's pitch black down there you can't see shit so he eventually ends up walking down there and like through that and you know he can kind of hear shit going on but he gets to another room like there's two separate rooms and he passes one and then makes his way further down there's another room and before I get into that, there's a flashback with the house from the 70s. And it, it features uh, Frank, uh, played by uh, Richard Brake. If you don't know him, he's been in a lot of zombie films like uh, um, 31 and as well as, as uh, Three from Hell. So, really good actor. Uh, so, he plays Frank, who's sort of like this sort of reclusive guy and he's shopping and he's getting all these supplies <laughs> you know and he gets back and you know we kind of don't see much from other than him going downstairs that's all i really see at that point uh so when aj gets down to this last room it's a much much older richard uh much much older frank laying in bed like kind of ill uh but still alive and, but there's like, you know, just, it, it's kind of cruddy in the room down there. Like, why is he down there? We don't really know. Uh, so, Justin's like, well, I'm going to get you out of here, buddy. And we're going to figure out what's going on. And But Frank starts, you know, grabs a gun from the drawer, like, very slowly because he's old. Uh, and, you know... AJ like kind of freaks out like what the fuck you know we we kind of discovered that Frank had held um a woman down there by captive and that's basically uh what this is sort of about uh for whatever reason I don't think it's really explained why Frank did what he did but the uh humanoid that attacked Keith was the mother what we call her and uh so anyway, AJ tries to escape and run, and he ends up falling into like what is basically a, a trap. It's like a floor trap. So it's got like a cage and whatnot. And uh, mother comes, and there's this just really gross scene um, where uh, the mother <laughs> she's been feeding like I guess. Frank and whoever she captures down there breast milk so she'll like she has it like a full bottle of breast milk and she reaches through the cage top and 
uh, we find out that Tess is still alive and she's down there. She's a captured as well. And they're like, so she like, do what she wants you to do. So, you know, Tess is like drinking from which, you know, just the thought of that is just nasty as hell. But AJ wants nothing to do with the breast milk, like nothing. So mother drops down in there and she's kind of looking them over and she hasn't really killed anybody, but she's trying to treat both characters, Tess and AJ, as like babies because she calls them babies. She kind of mumbles babies. Uh, so it's kind of a weird thing going on there with that. Uh, I, I should say that I think that, uh, at least from the description I'm reading on Wiki, is that Mother is actually a product of decades of rape and incest by the original owner, which I think is Frank. Um, so maybe it was Frank's daughter, I don't know, but a lot of crazy nonsense went down there, obviously. But, uh, anyway, uh, they spend the rest of the movie trying to get away and you know get out and they finally do get out of the house uh, there is one point where even Tess initially got out and was trying to explain to the cops what was going on uh, this is when Keith was missing or hurt or whatever and uh, cops just weren't buying it they didn't want to hear it so she's like fuck this so when they finally get out together AJ and, and Tess uh, they come across like a local homeless guy who's like well She'll be back out here looking for you. So, like, apparently the locals know of what's going on in this house and just don't say anything about it or no one gives a shit as long as they don't get taken themselves. So he, uh, the homeless guy kind of takes him to his little area where he stays and uh, says that, well, she's never come here and bothered me. Of course, we know that she's going to show up. And sure enough, she kills the homeless guy and then their chase is back on. Um... We find out through a lot of this, because AJ, you know, he's he goes through these highs and lows of where he wants to atone for what happened with the girl on set, and then he's like, you know, I just, I'm, I'm really a good person. Uh, we find out towards the end of the film he's just not a good person, and like, he, even, even when he discovers, like, what he did is wasn't uh fatal to Tess he, you know he tries to say you know I'm sorry it just I you know funny thing about Justin Long is like I used to think that I liked him as an actor and I, it's nothing personal really with me I just I don't know if it's just because he plays like these really shitty and sniveling ca villain characters all the time like I, he has a um he does an episode of Creepshow and Shudder, too, which he plays yet another kind of, like, dickhead. And uh, either he's just so good at it that I hate him for it, because there, there's just people that got a knack for that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm not really the biggest fan of his acting in general. I just, I did like him in uh, Live Free or Die Hard. I thought that was a good enough character. Uh, and certainly he used to do those, like, I think it was, like, uh, Apple computer commercials. I forget. I think that's where he kind of got his start, but... Uh, it's not that he did a bad job in this film per se, because he does portray that asshole quite well. <laughs> it's just that I just I just find myself having a hard time watching films with him just when he's like the lead or part of the big you know big cast. So if he's in smaller doses, I guess I don't mind that much. So um, the biggest problem for this movie for me is that it's predictable. And I've seen a lot of this stuff done before in different movies. And uh, 
you could almost argue some of the things with the humanoid, the mother down in the darkness and whatnot reminds you a little bit of either the descent or uh, quarantine wreck stuff like that. Uh, even though it's not really handy cam shot, it just has that kind of uh, vibrant appeal. Um, there is a moment at the end where it, it played out exactly like, like I thought it would, and I, but this is sort of my same problem with I Am Lisa, is that no one is really used to throwing out curveballs at their audience. And, um, let me just put it this way. The ending, to me, without giving too much away, would have been better had one particular person survived over the other. And I say that, and you're, you're probably thinking the opposite of what I'm thinking. Because when I speak of curveballs, I mean, I mean serious curveballs. Like, when you want to piss off an audience to a point that they come out and are feeling dirty, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, so the ending would have been far better if it ended up a different way. Um, the other thing is, and this is not just with Barbarian as a film, um... To me, this is with a lot of different stuff that happens with people who watch horror films or just films in general. Like so, it, it seems to happen more with horror films, and that is when you're used to, such as myself and people who are into horror films as much as we are, you see a lot of different horror. Films. And this is why, like, this film gives me uh, vibes of other films, I think. But I understand that people who don't watch horror films on a regular will come into Barbarian thinking that, oh, this is really cool, this is really inventive. Uh, this, this is something that Necro and I talked about with the Black Phone. It, it, again, it's the same problem. Uh, people, you know, are giving praise to Black Phone and are giving praise to Barbarian, but to me both films are kind of substandard now black phone i think we gave about a seven out of ten so it wasn't horrible uh but not as great as people were making it out to be at least in our opinion uh and i and i have my problem with barbarian in the same way i think that it just comes down to people that have seen this film probably haven't seen too many horror films to really compare it to anything and you know especially when you're talking about originality and creativeness and sometimes, like I said, even the ending, you can change one little thing that will change the way that you view a film in general. So your score might go up if it throws a curveball at you. This one doesn't. And uh, it's very predictable. Um, and so that's just, that's just how I kind of feel about what's going on when it comes to some of these movies. So, you know, if I go in and at some point and watch Smile, uh, there may still be the same problem. So even though people are giving it like a C grade overall, if I go in and I say, oh, well, I've seen stuff kind of similar to this in other movies, I may give it a lower score just because originality. But I don't, I don't hold any grudges against people who don't spend a lot of time watching horror films. You know, there are just some people who don't really watch them that often. Or, you know, you can almost say this is more like a thriller rather than horror. It's got some good jump scares. Uh, the usual suspects, but my rating for this is actually a 5 out of 10. Uh, the audiences have been giving us a 6 out of 10, so I don't want to really uh, 
give the audience themselves uh, a lot of shit for their score because it's about one step higher than I gave it. So, but it's really more my criticisms are more with the critics at this point because they're giving these films like you know ninety percent and better. Uh, now, now weirdly enough, uh, the sadness got like a ninety one percent, which was a shock to me. Despite you know with all the uh, the violence and the the sadism that goes on in that film. Yet the audience only gave it a sixty percent, which I thought was weird. I gave I give this I give uh, basically like I said the sadness a nine out of ten, which is an A. So I'm right up there with the critics with this. However, I am Lisa and Barbarian to me don't meet that criteria. So I don't know exactly what it is the critics are actually seeing in this film that gives them the impression that it's that good. Uh, but it's all subjective. Again, you know, critics can go in there and they have their own opinions and everything and. That's, that's what they come out with. That's what they come out with. I can't really uh, begrudge them for their opinions on stuff. That's what they get paid to do. And if that's how they feel about it, then great. But uh, Barbarian to me, uh, 5 out of 10, which is still an F. Um, I, won't, I won't ever watch it again. I'm just not that interested in it. Uh, too predictable. Um, and not enough curveballs in there. You know, I, I like stuff that will shock me and make me think a little bit by the end so if the ending had played out a little different i have been like oh my god i hate this fucking film but i love this film that's how you kind of are with certain things now i don't know if the ending would have changed my overall view of the film but it probably would have raised the score by at least one uh and i do know that um that fat samurai guy and lady fat blood will be uh reviewing this film on Sunday, like they'll probably watch it Saturday and then review it on Sunday when they do a show talking about different horror films. So, uh, be looking for that. You know, the, the, that guy is very cool. I love Samurai a lot, and uh, I appreciate him bringing Neko and I onto his shows whenever he can. And uh, you know, it's a lot of fun doing that stuff with him and talking shop and metal. He's a big rock and metal guy too. So, check out his uh, YouTube channel, man. He's a really cool guy, and someday, and especially, go on MetalTavernRate.com, man. If you go to the bottom of my webpage, we got a, link, a lot of links to a lot of those YouTube uh, personalities that we deal with. Uh, so, be sure to check them out. Um, they're all very good. They all do something a little different. Uh, they have their own uh, unique takes and the way they present their shows and their reviews and stuff, so certainly all worth it. Coming up, got stuff by Revulsed, which is new, and uh, got a lot of classic stuff coming away, especially in his next block with Accuser, and here's new, uh, not new, but a classic Warlock. This is Metal Racer. <laughs> Well, I'm fine, it's me, the ever-washed one 
everyone, this is Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now.
Sabotage. From their newest release, and uh, we're getting ready to head out of here, but I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the topics today, the music, of course, as always. I uh, appreciate the support. YouTube's doing really well. A lot of new subscribers. I've got I've been putting up a lot of content. I actually have about... I got, actually, uh, I got contacted by uh, some people who uh, are doing a movie called Bliss of Evil. So I'm going to do uh, both video and audio review of that, so you'll be hearing the audio part on the following podcast. Uh, there's also a doc on Tubi I want to check out it's called Lights, Camera, Murder, which is, I guess, the premise for what Scream, the movie Scream, was written about because it was based off real events. And then there's a great uh, hypocrisy documentary on YouTube I want to check out as well. So thank you all. I'll be looking forward to that. I'll be doing some trailer reactions. I have some trailers I want to get to. I just haven't had time yet. Been busy as shit this month. Uh, but that's a good thing. But anyway, thanks you all. I appreciate it. One last track for you from a band called Seance. This is For Never Laid to Rest. Sounds like The Undertaker. <laughs>